welcome to Uncharted Journeys. I'm your host, Kathy McKnight. If you're like me and you've ever sat back and wondered, how did I get here, whether literally or figuratively, in terms of your career or life in general, then you're in good company and have come to the right place. On Uncharted Journeys, you'll hear from amazing women and their straight and narrow, zigzaggy, or somewhere in between paths to success. Today's guest is a newly minted CMO of Constructor and is no stranger to the tech space, having served previously as VP of Marketing Revenue and BD for Salsify, where she was instrumental in scaling the company's marketing team from 5 to 40 employees, which is no small feat, all while increasing revenues to 100 million plus and reaching a valuation of 2 billion. Clearly, she's very good at her job. She's prepared for those roles by mastering hashtag all the go-to marketing roles in brand management, product development, operations, and sales. A Philly native who lives in New York City, who has lived in New York City, D.C., and San Francisco, she now calls Boston home where she lives with her 13-year-old dog, dog, Roscoe, who I can tell you is absolutely adorable. In her downtime, she likes to run, travel, hike, and give her time her time and knowledge back to mentoring on the advisory council of the University of Vermont Business School and running fundraising for Dana Farby Cancer Institute in Boston. Not sure if she sleeps, but let's find out. Welcome, Courtney Ostmule. Is that how I pronounce Ostermiel. it? Ostermule. But what's interesting what is it. that, well, that was my original last name. So that is really fascinating. When we came over, we changed it. So you were a dead ringer for my original German last name. <laughs> let's go back into time then and consider it correct i'm gonna take i'm gonna take the win for the morning yes please do thank you so much for making time in your what i know is a very busy schedule i gave our audience just sort of the highlight reel tell us a little more about what you do today and your and your role yeah sure um first and foremost thanks for having me very excited to be here so at constructor right now we're really focused on a new inflection point for the organization in terms of growth, which is really exciting. It is a newer company, right? Um, We went to market a little under four years ago with our product and have grown pretty significantly, you know, year over year, and we want to continue that growth. And so they created my role, the first CMO at the organization, um, to help do that across go-to-market with the sales team, the BDR team, the marketing team to help bring brand awareness for our organization and to serve our customers and uh, to create pipeline, right? To start creating more revenue to try to hit that 100% growth year over year for the next two years. So kind of all encompassing around go-to market. It's like my niche space. So I kind of get why I'm here. And yeah, I'm really excited for the journey ahead. That's very cool. So I mentioned in the intro that you like to run and hike, and I know you went for a run this morning. Any <laughs> favorite hiking areas? I know you live in Boston, and so New England is just replete with places to go. Any, any yeah. favorites? Yeah, the White Mountains in New Hampshire uh, are absolutely beautiful. Franconia. Um, I try to get to Acadia in Maine, in Bar Harbor, once a year at least to do um, quite a bit of hiking as well. And I do frequent... Uh, Mount Snow and Stratton in the summer just for basic like day hikes. So up in Vermont, there's a couple of spots, yeah, that I really enjoy going to and getting the grind in. Now, now does Roscoe go with you? He's got really <laughs> little legs, so I'm not sure that he can handle those kind of climbs. <laughs> he, he does. Um, I have a backpack for Roscoe. When you're in a relationship with your dog for 12 years, you do kind of want to bring him places, right? And But as he's gotten older, um, some of the times in the backpack is is a little tough on his tiny body. So, um, and depending on the weather, obviously too. But I do try to get him out and 
let him sniff the air, you know, dog things. <laughs> I've got two big black labs, so I will not backpack them, but I can tell you my sister has one as well. And she has a similar relationship with her dog. So when Molly <laughs> gets to a point where she can't do those runs anymore, you know, my sister's getting one of those big day packs um, and converting it so she can take her 60 pound oh, yeah. lab. With her. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. And you, it's, what's funny is we think that they like care about you know, sniffing the leaves and the smelling the whatnots when they're hiking. And for all I know, Roscoe's like, please get me out of this backpack. Let me go <laughs> curl up in a pillow. Like, I don't want to do this. He thinks he's doing you a favor. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> As my audience knows, I always ask our guests uh, four questions to start off with. So if you're ready, we'll dig in. Sure, let's do it. Excellent. All right. So what was the first career you remember wanting to do when you grew up? Sports broadcast journalism. Were you a big sports player as a kid? Yeah, uh, I played softball and field hockey. My brother played ice hockey. My dad was a really good baseball player. Um, he played football too. So, and being from Philadelphia, you kind of just are a sport. You're typically a sports family in that essence. And I really loved being in front of people. I loved public speaking even as a kid. And so you could imagine me doing the morning announcements in middle school. I have no idea if that's still a thing, but back in the day it was. And I started TV lab in my high school and the local channel in Montgomery County. And then when I went to Penn State, I worked for ESPN on ABC or a ABC on ESPN. And I started CSTV and I worked for Comcast Sportsnet. Like I was very dedicated to the broadcast world from a very young age. All right, well, we'll dig into the shift um, in a minute, but who was the first big influencer in your life that you remember? Besides my, you know, besides my parents' encouragement, particularly, you know, my, my dad for sure, and, and my mom, I would say a woman by the name of Jenny Maxwell. She was my manager at Pearson when I was in sales, and she made a pretty significant impact on who I am in my career. So I would give the credit to her. Is there a song that epitomizes your career path? You know, it's, I was thinking about this one and I remember my first job, which was a BDR when I was living in DC and I listened to under pressure maybe 10 times a day for a year and I'm not exaggerating. And so that might not explain my career, but it is a defining song for me getting through that pretty tough job. And now I would say, Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Anything Queen goes, but I would say that's the shift for me from beginning of career to now in terms of songs. So have you heard the new Queen album? No. Yeah, there's a new Queen album. They actually have a song that has Freddie Mercury on it. They had some tape left, I guess, you know, that they never produced or, you know, they record so many songs and decide which ones go on albums. Right. And they had this one song that they've remastered. Um, and it's actually Freddie singing lead on it. Oh my gosh. For viewers, you cannot see me right now, but I'm struck by this news and very excited. So I, I will go out and find that. <laughs> I love Freddie. Courtney is now not paying attention to the interview, but digging into and, and getting it, downloading it on her favorite uh, audio, <laughs> audio source. I'm like, okay, let's go. Moving on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll get through this quickly so you can go listen. <laughs> what would the street name for your career be if it were an actual road? 
<laughs> this is such a bad answer. Uh, it would be called data. <laughs> All right. That's the answer. <laughs> is that, are you, do you find that through, I mean, you've had quite the career and, and a lot of different opportunities. And as I mentioned, you know, you've sort of ran the gambit on the roles that you can get or that you can be mm-hmm. in to, to learn marketing and audience centricity and, and that kind of thing. So were you early digging into data? Was that one of the things that you maybe glommed on like, yeah. at an early, early stage to understand the power of it? Yeah, I, I do believe that is what has made me unique as a marketer. And, and I say that because I was recruited in to marketing from sales, right? And one of the things that came up in my panel interview that day, every time was how I understood revenue, how I understood, you know, pipeline, how to get to the number, how to look at industry data, where we're winning, where we're not. And for me, when I was an outside salesperson, or even as a BDR, like being able to look at the patch, looking at what is working, what is not, where I need to spend my time was something that I did out the gates. And it was something that my dad had recommended. And for him, it was like, you can start with the data and then you can have both qualitative and quantitative information, right? But like, at least the data is a source of truth that gives you a baseline. And then you can start finding and getting the anecdotal information around that. And so every job that I've had, even the one now, like I do try to focus as much on the data and then build the story around it. So that's why my bad street name is <laughs> It's a great street name. So it, it sounds as though, as I mentioned, that you really recognize the value, whether it was overt or, or inadvertently recognized the value of, of data early in your career. What's your career journey been like? Have you leveraged data to decide which opportunities to take or has it been a little more opportunistic? It's a great question. I, I realized... I realized while I was in sales that I didn't want to stay in sales, but I knew the value of being in the field, being a sales manager. I knew the value of being a BDR. And because I really liked the data and building processes pretty early on, I thought maybe I could go into like operations one day, right? I don't know a lot about it. And so I would shadow folks at my organizations. And when I was talking to my dad about this, Um, he was saying that if I wanted to get into that type of a role, like overseeing operations, like marketing wasn't really in my purview at that point. Um, I didn't know a lot about it, to be honest with you. When we, when I was in sales, it was just a different kind of world, you know, 14 years, 15 years ago. And when I was recruited for McGraw Hill, what was interesting about the role is that I would own a P&L. And so I didn't even like think about that world to help round out my career eventually of being able to own a PL and understanding supply chain and getting a different lens on business. And so that was a data point around that role in particular that was appealing because I had never had experience or exposure to something like that. And I did think, okay, so now maybe when I think about this, if I get different go-to-market roles it might set me up better for like a leadership role one day, right? Understanding strategy, understanding how, you know, the sausage is made, not just like the, you know, not just the selling side. And 
um, that role was really interesting because I wore a lot of hats around brand and product development and market development and marketing. And I was still doing sales, but then I was like owning a $60 million P&L, right? And, and that was sort of a wow moment role for me. And I, and I do give credit to Matt Busbridge, who was my boss there for taking a chance on a salesperson and putting them into that role and, and believing that I could do that. So um, it kind of kicked me off to say, okay, I can do this. I can get into, you know, more of an operational um, leadership role one day. And that was sort of a launching point for me. So, so yes and no sort of on the data, but the, the outlook was how do I holistically create a career path at that point that can get me into some sort of senior operational role um, at some point in my career. Well, well orchestrated because you've gotten there. So kudos. <laughs> a determined woman. <laughs> well, you know what? Never get in the way of a determined woman because that will not work out well for you. I, will, I can attest to that, not only personally, but from all of the women I've had the absolute pleasure of speaking with on this podcast, that is determination uh, is one of the things once once they put their minds to it, there's just get out of the way. It's safe, <laughs> safest for everybody. Love that for them. Was, I mean, it sounds very much like you had a very orchestrated career that you reflected on where you were, what you needed to learn. I, I got to ask, did anybody teach you how to, how to do or read a PL or did you just dig in and learn that? Because <laughs> I know for me, it was a very arduous and I'm good with numbers, but PL tackling that, that was completely self-taught. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was really daunting and terrifying. And it, and it, it took a while for me in in a frustrating way, um, where I just finally had to raise my my hand and ask for help. And my boss at McGraw-Hill, Matt, was really incredible about taking the time, allowing me to be vulnerable and say, hey, like, it's just not clicking for me. And he helped me process it in a different way than like how I was being, how I was self-teaching myself, um, which was really helpful. So it, yeah, I tried to, I tried to be solo on that case. And then I eventually just asked for help and, and ended up panning out. Um, you know, and I would say that that, that is something that is a, a bit of like a, a trend, I would say the self-teaching, you know, in a lot of these roles of like, I didn't know how to do market development, but I knew what the end goal was. And so you just kind of have to test and try and see how to get there. Um, even when I think about data and building, you know, a waterfall or building a plan of record for go-to market, it was a lot of self-teaching around that. Um, but there was a gentleman in my career, his name is Kelly Rieger. He was the, he was a COO when I was um, at, at an organization and I just walked up to him one day and I said, hey, like, can we whiteboard for like two hours a week on how you look at a waterfall? And he was really good at Salesforce. He was really good at pipeline development. And I knew that that was a skill set I had to have to get to the point that I needed. And so I, I was very I'm very good at understanding my gaps and where I need to learn and either being self-taught or knowing how to seek out who to help me learn that. And I think that's helped me immensely. And I'm thankful for the people that have given me their time. So from a 
from a career perspective, so I love this this theme of self-taught. So again, you know, going back to you mentioned at school where you did the announcements and then you started the TV lab and that would have all, it's not like a 17 year old knows how to start something like that. It's an idea and you're like, okay, what do I need to do? Was there a defining moment, decision, action, something significantly that really impacted the trajectory of your career? Uh, decide Like something where, again, you're making these decisions and you're evaluating where it was like, this is something I either, I cannot not do, or I need to change somebody maybe? For me, it was communication. I used to be a bit, a bit tougher around the edges, I would say, and lacked empathy and would commune. I wouldn't communicate with people maybe the best way that they could be communicated with. And while it's not a, a person or, you know, something else that was pretty impacting, but changing the way that I have communicated with people, having awareness, talking about the why with folks, having a ton of empathy really changed how I was viewed as a leader, how I think I did in my roles, the trust that I was given at companies, right, to be able to grow teams and have bigger budgets and have more responsibilities. And I even think about that with Constructor. Like my first few weeks, I came in with a lot of ideas from Salsify, right? And it's funny because when I was interviewing, I was saying like, I'm not going to be that person that tries to like stuff Constructor into a Salsify box. And I you know, I felt a little bit of resistance, like not in a bad way. Right. But I was like, what's going on? And I went on a hike in Vermont and, and my lovely manager, Ellie knows this story. I told him and I thought, oh my God, it's that it's like the communication, right? I'm not asking the questions. I'm not leaning in. I'm not looking at, Hey, you guys have kicked butt in the last four years to get to this point that has taken companies 10 years to get to this revenue level. Right. And once I was self-aware and I found the empathy again and I changed the communication, the world changed, right? Like I felt better. They felt better. Everybody felt better. And sometimes I feel like we just get caught in this rat race where we forget these softer things that can actually change the way that people view you, the way that you work, the way you're received, your success. So that was pretty defining for me and my role, um, this was also kind of at McGraw when I figured this out and I started just doing a lot of reading on it and podcasts came out, right? And so there was just a lot of sort of self-teaching on how to be a better leader around communication and clarity, um, which I think helped a lot. That is fascinating. I um, I feel very akin to you, having just met you. <laughs> I did some leadership training, coaching, probably 10 or 12 years ago. And one of the things, similar to you, right, when, when you're, not to boast, when you're smart and you kind of get it and, and whatnot, you don't always realize that not everybody thinks the way you do. I had done, yeah. um, have you ever done a Myers-Briggs? I have, yeah. Do you know what you are? I don't remember. Remember? Yeah. So and then we, we do col- we, I did colors as well, where I was pretty orange, didn't have a lot of blue. <laughs> Not a lot of blue. <laughs> yeah. So I did my I did my Myers Briggs early and I was an INTJ. And one of the best things that came out of that, it was it was part of a, a career training thing, is I got this like 
big ass binder of what that means. Yeah. And one of the things that I have leveraged ever since then, and I was only 25 when I did it, was this is how an INTJ works. Here's how you as an INTJ can understand the ESTJs and the, you know, and it made such a difference for me realizing that, you know, you're not the epicenter of, of everything. Yeah. Um, but back to my, back to my coaching, I, again, it was good. It was about 12 years later and it reiterated for me. And one of the things that came up, so my coach interviewed a bunch of people, personal life, work life, and, and that kind of thing. And they spoke with my husband and one of the comments, and I will never forget this, that she quoted was he had said to her, you know, until I met Kathy, I didn't realize there was a wrong way to fold a towel wow. in lightning. I read like, and I, again, I have this, this binder of coaching stuff, but that just encapsulated everything for me. And I went and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. right? it's yeah. just, it's, <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, that is, thank you for sharing that by the way. Um, I had a very similar conversation with my mother once where it was the towel analogy actually, but like in real life, because she would refold towels that my dad would fold. And I can remember it vividly. And then I realized I was doing that stuff as I got older to folks. And it is not a, it's not a great way to live. Right. And so that was a very big awakening. I mean, and the reality is, right, like this clarity, the why, the being direct is still something that I'm working on, but it impacts your personal and your professional life. Right. Like it's you can use these skill sets anywhere. And 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 that's helped me immensely, even just the last few years, like with covid. Right. I've spent a lot of time on self-growth and I'm going to continue to do that. So it's just the the towel story is funny because I had that com- that was a realization for me and I and yeah. my mom was like oh god did you get that from me and I said probably I watched you do it every week and thought it was totally fine um, and you it's just a freer life right it's a freer less complicated life in the workplace and professionally when or professionally and personally when you can be that self-aware and change the way that you communicate with people. Um, So I'm a huge fan of that. Thank you for, again, for bringing that up and sharing that. Oh, thank you. I mean, this is, should be, this is all about you, but I just, (laughs) there was such, I was, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to share this story because I bet you she can relate. The fact that you had a topic experience is just, yes. That's too funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so again, I mean, you've shifted. You made a big shift from um, from Salsify to to Constructor, and it's. I've got to imagine it's. It, you're not rinsing, repeating. This is a whole new. You've even said right. You went into this, and it, you're not trying to create another Salsify. What's your current role like? Are you finding different challenges or compromises? What What gets you up in the morning? It's, it's interesting. Some of the challenges are very similar from the inflection point when I was at Salsify, when I started at the, at the ARR that they were at. But what's interesting is because Constructor has such a strong deal size that it's a smaller company, right? And that's like, but that's an amazing part of their success, right? They're doing really well. They're growing at a good rate and there's just less, you know, hands um, in the pod. And so being operationally efficient 
is like my number one MO right now. When I look at processes and I look at the back and forths and I mean, just the minute things of documentation and proper QA. And the thing is, is everybody's incredibly hungry on board and wants to walk in the same direction. And sometimes that's the hardest place to get folks is like the receptiveness, the openness, the readiness, that change management. And I don't struggle with that at the organization, which is is something that's incredible. And I'm like so grateful for it because I don't have to, I don't have to like lose sleep about that overnight. And, but when I look at efficiencies, there's so much that can be done there. And that's where I'm spending a lot of my time. I mean, I guess I'm spending a lot of my time on a lot of things, but every time we're talking about like brand awareness or like what we're doing with design or how we're putting a webinar out to the world, how we're training BDRs on the follow-up process with contacts, all of that, right, are things that we're looking under the hood and saying, how do we make it more efficient? And how do we make people happier with the efficiency, right? Because lack of efficiency can create chaos and create challenges of mental health at work, right? And so it's like all conducive to one another. And that's just a really big focus for us. So I would say that is, um, that's, that's the thing that, that really drives, I think, every day and every call of how do we just make this better for folks, right? And what's awesome, too, is that people share. Like, we opened up a document yesterday, and everybody started writing in where we could be more efficient, you know? Like, it's not just me who has this on their mind. It's, it's everybody, and we're fluid, and we're open about it, and that, that's pretty cool, um, but yeah, that's weaved into essentially everything that we're doing at the moment. The fact that you are working in an organization that is embracing change. Um, I have been known to say change. Yay, said no one ever. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah. it, it's uh, while they might not be, you know, cheering and, and you know, rah-rahing and whatnot about change, it, it sounds like they're all really leaning into it to totally, to it, um, totally leaning in at it. Yeah, yeah. And they, I mean, honestly, there is rah-rah. Like it, I mean, they're like, it's, they're, it's, yeah, it's a very unique place to be, to be able to come in and mindfully, kindly say, hey, here's where we could like be more efficient, right? And not get met with, you don't know what you're talking about, right? And, you know, but data plays a big part of that. Like, here's what I see. Here's the conversations that I've had. So I have both sides of the, you know, the fence around the why. And we know the end game, right? And we know where we want to be in in two to three years. And that is such a motivator because the entire executive team is aligned. The organization has visibility into what our goals are and our numbers are. There's like a great deal of transparency and where everybody fits in that impact, right, of what that growth is going to look like. So the culture standpoint um, helps drive that openness. Uh, and I'm very, I feel very lucky to be at a place like that. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. You're right. Yeah, it sounds it. So, I mean, you've spent a lot of time in tech. If you weren't in the tech space, if you weren't running marketing and being an operational badass, (laughs) what, what would you be? Is there an alter ego to Courtney? (laughs) I... This is, people are going to probably just, I don't, I just created that story in my head immediately. I was like, people aren't going to like this story. And I don't know why I just created that narrative because it's fake. 
Uh, see, this is being self-aware, right? And I would probably be a lawyer if I'm being honest. And it would, um, for like immigration or women's rights, something in that, in that realm, that would, that's my alter ego. I had thought about being a lawyer quite a bit as I got older, looking at the world around me. How could I make a difference there? And who knows? Maybe Constructor will do great, and I will find a different career path one day after that. There you go. It's never too late, right? Never too late. <laughs> Although I heard the LSAT is getting just harder and harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to admit the thought of taking courses again and tests sounds terrifying. It's like what nightmares are made of. <laughs> I could not agree with you. I love learning. I am constantly reading and podcasts yeah. and yeah. all of those things. But the thought of formally registering where somebody else is going to tell you whether you got it right or not, not sure if at this mm-hmm. point in my life I'm ready to go down. For that. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. You've already given us so much um, advice and clarity on direction and just, you know, so much to think about, quite frankly, but for our listeners, particularly the women in our audience, what would be your best piece of advice on life or career success that you'd like to share? Clarity is everything in communication. I was just having this conversation last night with a woman who was on my team at Salsify, and she is thinking about salary, right? So we're having a salary conversation. And she starts off by saying, like, this is silly. Maybe I ask for X. And I, and I was like, we're going to try that again. Why is it silly? Why did you add that in there? Right. And this is how I communicate with folks at, 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 the, at work. And, but they know like where I'm coming from. Right. I'm like not trying to be rude or, 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 you know, overbearing or anything. And we started talking about her self-worth and what she does. And it was really interesting to sort of hear that perspective um, where we started in the conversation versus where we ended up, because then she sort of realized like, I'm a badass and I know what I'm doing. I'm really good at my job. I do actually know my self-worth. And it was an interesting journey of a conversation. And so when I think about how once I felt like I was stepping on eggshells or that I was, you know, I'm living in a man's world in the workplace, which did feel like that for a long time. I mean, starting, you know, your career 15 years ago or 16 years ago, it was very male heavy. It's, you know, the tech world still kind of is, especially in the leadership. And what I realize is the more clear that I can be with my communication and support that in a lot of ways with data, because it's like a source of truth, the more I get done and the more respect that I get or trust that I get at, at work and the less stress that I put on myself because I'm clear in my asks or I'm clear in my responses. And that type of communication is met with, it's met neutrally, right? Or respectable. And so that's typically the advice that I give the women in my life. And I do a lot of outside mentorship with people that I've met in my career or just my friends. And it is interesting because I think one of the areas that continuously comes up is we create these stories in our heads before we even ask for something. And it's really hard to unwind that. It's a lot of work. 
Um, and so I'm really clear about that too. Like you've got to put in the time around how you communicate with yourself and then how you communicate with others. Um, and that's a journey that I'm still on and I will probably always be on, but, but that's the, you know, the clear communication and don't psych yourself out and make a fake story in your head before you communicate will actually make a huge difference in your career. I could not agree with you more. Uh, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. Where can our audience find you? Are you speaking anywhere or any other podcasts coming up, social? Yeah, I, I am at the Ascent Conference actually next week in New York. I do have a session on Monday, a small roundtable around the funnel and the waterfall. Uh, all the spots are filled, so I'm super excited about it. And um, you can find me on LinkedIn. We will, I will also be at NRF in January in New York. If folks are around, um, please feel free to connect with me. This was awesome. Fantastic. Thank you so much for this. This was wonderful. Roscoe, thank you as well. I hope, uh, <laughs> I hope you're resting up for a really good weekend. And to my audience, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Courtney and how learning about how clarity of communication makes all the difference, both personally and professionally. And if you're keen to hear more amazing stories from amazing women, head over to unchartedjourneys.net and listen to some of the other fabulous conversations I've had with other amazing women. And while you're there, you can sign up to follow Uncharted Journeys on your favorite player and subscribe for updates and announcements for the show. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. And until then, enjoy the journey. Mm-hmm.